0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: to another edition of the R Big Show podcast. This is our youth fan, Jerry, and joining will be Rutgers Moe in a little bit. Uh, we are coming at you after another disappointing game and result for the Scarlet Knights football team, who this time lost 38-17 to uh, against a team that they beat last season. And after a week of uh, some positivity, Uh, in their come-from-behind attempt the previous week was pretty much all wiped away with that loss and result. So the Scarlet Knights, uh, who had to take back at it, going out to play the Maryland Terrapins this weekend, uh, currently a 23- or 24-point underdog in what was a typically a rival game with uh, Maryland over the last couple of years. Uh, Some good games, um, starting with their first meeting as Big Ten members, a 41-38 win by Rutgers in Maryland, uh, probably Gary Nova's best game. Um, and it seems like that offense and that, that type of production is a long time ago. Uh, but, yeah, 2015 was also a good game. That one Maryland took at Rutgers, 46-41. Um, the year after, it was a close game up into the third quarter. It was 21-13. to Then Maryland uh, broke open 31 31- to 13 but uh last year Rutgers also won 31 to 24 so obviously these are two teams who joined at the same time they will always be compared together um but right now uh things are not looking good for the scarlet knights at one and five and maryland uh at three and two so uh yeah i don't know i i, I titled this show today um uh, not sure what to talk about uh but um, Mo, I'm sure you have um, some thoughts uh, before we uh, kickstart the show.
0: Uh, yeah. First of all, um, hello. <laughs> How are you? Um, <laughs> ah. <laughs> don't trying trying to keep it positive in a world that is looking negative. That's that's the key here. Um, let me just kind of dive in with both feet, um, sharing a little bit with you. I know I've done that off off air, and share a little bit with whoever's listening to the podcast. I have had discussions with the athletic department over the last three or four months on something non-related to what we're discussing at the moment, a whole different project. And there's been several individuals I've spoken to who are aware of that. Some are big donors. Um, I spoke to them today, and I found myself saying some things to an assistant for Pat Hobbs that I read on the board, which I totally agreed with. And the the post on the board, I'm talking about the uh, night report was essentially begging for something to happen relative to our coaching position, relative to getting somebody in here who could coalesce the team, energize the team, make something happen. It's exactly what I was asking for as well. Um, Any way you want to spin this, I guess it was an old commercial for, I think it was Purelator or Fram. I can't remember which one it was. But you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And I think that's the reality. What's hurting besides our production and besides our performance on the field is the fact that next year we're going to be celebrating nationwide the 150th anniversary of the first game. So we're going to be not only in the spotlight, but we're going to be under a microscope. And it just makes it that much more difficult when we don't seem to have the horses to get it done. And that's where I'm at at the moment. I I think uh, that's at least the starting point. People are calling, whether it's on the board, whether it's off the board, whether it's people I've spoken to who are Rutgers alum, who are not participating on the board, but people I graduated with, And um, some younger, some older, but no one's really happy with what's going on. That's the bottom line. So you can pay me now or pay me later. And the problem is when you pay something later, it always costs more, never costs less. Both know that. So what I'm really calling for is I'm calling for us to take a look honestly at what the options are, what can we do. How do we get out of this mess and how do we salvage? I don't know about this year. This year I think it's pretty much a learning curve and um, I'm, I'm almost done with this, but I, I think it's a learning curve. I don't think there's anything we can do. I think basically we're looking at one eleven. 11. I hate to say that, but that's where I think we're going. And I think everybody else has sort of reached that conclusion. My question is, what are we going to do about next year? Is that the way we want to portray the first first 150 years with a, with a, with a season similar to this, I think the answer has got to be no. We've got to do something to shake things up. We've got to do something to energize our base. We've got to do something that fills the stadium with fans like we had in 2006, seven, eight, nine, et cetera, where it was packed, where there was, where it was loud, where the fans were passionate and intense. We don't have that now. So I'll stop, but those are my thoughts.
1: Well, I think you're inti- it's it's you're entitled definitely for these stars, and I think they're they're warranted at this moment. Um, although we've had a discussion in the past and I think uh it's probably been discussed on, on several of the other podcasts, in the print media, on the boards, and uh, you know, the bottom line is uh you know, that that move that you're talking about, um, which, you know, removing Coach Ash sure, it, it is not something that's gonna happen now and it's for sure not gonna happen in season. And, and the question, uh, you know, still is, is whether or not it happens after a, a 1-11 season. Uh, so it's tough because I don't want to go too much into that because I think it's it's really something that can't be answered uh, unless Rutgers goes 1-11. And, um, you know, the season is not over. And, you know, it's quickly the games against michigan and penn state and wisconsin are approaching so uh you know you get into the probabilities of such a season are are, are vastly uh, increasing with each week uh but you know bottom line maryland is is <laughs> i hate to say um how you want to quotate this but in the realm of you know possibility uh, so uh you know even potentially northwestern but uh you know, I, I see where you come from and and certainly uh what concerns me more is I, I I tweeted out a picture um that my wife had sent me from her Facebook uh when they did a blackout six years ago and, and um you yeah, know, it was a full stadium. Uh, you know uh, there was, there was, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, you know, I, it really was not that long ago uh, that that Rutgers was able to put together crowds and, and some excitement. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate what's going on. And it's unfortunate that uh, there's so much, you know, apathy that's starting to settle in right now because, um, you know, to your point is uh, there's not much to look forward to. Uh, you know, I try to make myself a list of, five positives you know for every week and uh you know I, I, you have to stretch i mean i think one of them probably definitely despite the three interceptions um you know art Cikowski had some moments uh that drive towards the end of the second quarter at the end of the half nine, yeah. nine you know you know obviously you know he, he is going to be the quarterback of the future and and He's, you know, if there's any positive in the season, as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to gain as much experience as possible. Um, you know, today, uh, or, or sorry, this weekend also, you saw a tight end, Travis Volkowicz, who uh, many talked about in, in, in the preseason, um, over you. the spring and the summer, uh, you know, step up in, when he was given an opportunity. Uh, but, you know, besides that, not 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 much else. I mean, you you, you might have to start reaching for for uh, positives, if I try to fill out a list uh, from one to five, uh, you know, maybe one that they can, they can, you know, they can start looking for a defensive coordinator earlier than they thought, you know, maybe that's a positive, Uh, you know, um, (laughs) focus on some of the finer things. I think if anyone who's at the stadium, uh, you know, shorter bathroom lines or, uh, you know, uh, the band sounded really good. I mean, uh, unfortunately, those are the things, uh, uh, because it's not, it's not happening on, on the football
0: field. Right now. Well I, I I I understand what you're saying as well. And so let's let's just say for the moment that Chris Ash is off the is off the table. He he's not up for discussion. Even though that's what I would like. It's not it's not gonna happen. All right. Let's just say that. And I would agree with you that definitely our defense, whether it's the players, the lack of players, for whatever the reasons, we both know that there's been a, a decrease in the number of players available to Rutgers, and as a result, it's had an impact. Um, it, just using one name, Gray, I believe Gray would have been a starter. But uh, there was a couple of other players there who would have seen some time. They would have been in at least a two deep. Whatever the reasons are, it's irrelevant. The bottom line is the team is not at full strength. And even if they were at full strength, I don't know what kind of outcome we would have had so getting someone else in here perhaps someone who's more aggressive someone who's more passionate i noticed that in the interviews after the last game mcnulty and neiman mcnulty made sense he uh answered questions directly he was um he has it he has the it factor you you feel comfortable at least let me phrase it this way i do I feel comfortable that given the right talent, McNulty is someone who can make a difference. And I feel that he will be able to help attract and recruit players who will be able to perform. I don't get that sense from Neiman. I I don't get that sense in listening to him. I don't hear energy. I don't know what's going on. We're not there. We don't get to see the practices. Even if we did, I don't know if it would. It wouldn't register with me. I'm someone who just looks at the game looks at the plays and kind of says, that was a great play or that one stunk. I'm a fan. So your point, yeah, if we're, gonna, if we're not going to change the whole car, then we need to do an overhaul, and we definitely need to add some additional accessories that we don't have right now. And however we're going to do that, whether that's bringing in a high school coach who is successful in New Jersey, not in Iowa, not in North Dakota, not in a Division Three school. Uh, I'm going to just put my foot down on that one. No. They have to be in New Jersey. If they've got a base, if they can help recruit, if they can help bring players to the, to the team and open that pipeline, they are valuable, and they, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of move we need to make. How many times have we been on the other end where someone's father winds up getting a job at a university Remains nameless But you know who I'm talking about And there's plenty of them They get jobs at these universities Their kids wind up going there And we wind up losing the recruit well, Or I mean, someone so, else was...
1: Not to cut you But you know This is the difficult part about this Coming up with solutions Is that uh, you, you, When you pigeon-toe you know, you, you, You're talking why, why, Why dance around the subject You're talking about only one person uh and 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 um he, if someone told you that a big 10 defensive coordinator job is going to go to someone who has you know one year position coach experience uh, i think you know people will be like that's crazy um you know it's it, the bottom line is i get it with the jersey and they you know you, you want to have someone who uh, has jersey ties, uh, but I just want someone that can coach, and 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 there's there's plenty of guys all over this country who I think can coach and coach defense and coach and and. Uh, You know, what we saw in that game, you know, it's just being gashed and gashed by by long runs, 70 yards, 40 yards, where guys are out of position. And, uh, you know, there's one thing when you're being run over and tossed aside and all kinds of other stuff outrun to the end zone. But when, uh, you know, a guy takes the ball out the gut and is untouched, uh, you know, to me, it's coaching. And, uh, you know, I get what we look and, and getting, we looked, you know, we someone local. Slow, but I, I think you can find another other coach somewhere.
0: Well, I think the reality is, you're right, that we were dashed a number of times. I don't know how many big plays there were, but certainly it seemed like there was three or four. I don't know what it was. Their quarterback was never really contained. I don't know why we didn't spy him. I don't know why we, you know, we when we blitzed, it seemed to be the game was already out of hand. And I think we need to go into to the if we're going to lose, let's go down, let's go down fighting. Let's not, let's not basically just try to keep it close. I don't know what the heck the game plan was, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So to answer your – to, to respond to your question, I'll just bring up a name, by the way. It's not one that we've discussed before, and it's not like I have an axe to grind on it because I don't. I don't even know him. But we were close a couple of years ago with a guy named Partridge who had some connections to New Jersey. My point is, I don't know how good he is or not. He, he seems to have been very valuable to Michigan relative to bringing in some really big, well-known recruits. Could he have done that had he been with Rutgers? I don't know. Would they have come? I don't know. I do know that we didn't pull the trigger. We didn't pull the trigger. And I think that if we're going to get out of this thing, we need to start firing. And if it doesn't work, Next. And that includes coaches. We've certainly done that for whatever reason. It seems like most of them are leaving on their own on the offensive side of the ball, right? Mcnulty's. This is his second tour with us. But in between, how many guys have we had, including that guy Drew? I
1: I agree. I I agree. I agree. Uh, So I think we can agree that if Ash is not going to be fired mid-season, or if he, you know. Pulls out a win and goes to, to you know whatever ten and tour and you he is granted another year. Either way, you know Jay Neiman should be gone. Right? Uh, we've we've seen enough to know that he's certainly not coaching up these guys. And 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 there is enough talented coaches out there that that can do it. Now, the, I think it's difficult having a discussion about Partridge because um, he's probably the only guy. That has that kind of uh, recruiting or jersey, you know, stain if you want to call it, right? Um, But you know, um, who was he two years ago? Was a high school coach that was able to bring, um, you know, uh, two players over to Michigan under Harbaugh, which is, uh, yeah, I give him a pat on the back for that, right? But you know, sending, I uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pat him on the back. Well, I, I wouldn't even – I don't even know whether to pat him on the back or he just basically, you know, went up there. He obviously did a tremendous job in what he did in Paramus Catholic, and then, uh, you know, he parlayed that into a, into a job over uh, at Michigan. Again, what I'm saying is bringing um, – or the top player in the country chose to go to Michigan. Uh, and it just so happened that one of his previous players went to Michigan before him, uh, and that's that. So do I know whether he can be a good defensive coordinator after one year of coaching linebackers? Uh, I, I don't know. Can he match up against, you know, some of the best offensive coordinators in the country? I don't know. But um, you know, it, that, that's the kind of desperation that, that people have right now, but that's the kind of, that's the kind of of, of decision that you go back in two years and you're like, why the hell would we bring this guy on to, you know, be a defensive coordinator with one year of linebacking experience. But uh, you know, I get it. I get I get the discussion. Now I, I I wish he was on the staff as a recruiter. Um but uh I'm I'm not sure he's the guy to be a defensive coordinator at this moment. And you know, I'm not sure that he'd even he would even take it knowing that he's gonna work on the ash.
0: Well we, we, we okay <clears throat> um, let, let's let's try another one. Right now, I believe. And by the way, you and I haven't discussed any of this, so it's kind of freewheeling. And I actually think that's a good thing. I think I think the fact that it's non-structured means that we can go in a lot of different directions. If it doesn't work, we'll just reverse it, reverse our field, and try something else. We have players who have graduated in the last ten years. Some of whom are now coaching some are in the NFL some were in the NFL and, and aren't anymore uh, I'm using one, uh, one anyway a former player teal right who's, who's a head coach and I think we have a couple of others my question is at what point did they become valuable enough to bring onto the team teal was a quarterback he was darn he was darn good who is doing our quarterback coaching right now is it a, is it McNulty who's doing both It's somewhat rhetorical. If McNulty is is both the offensive coordinator and doing uh, quarterback coaching, it would be better to have someone who specializes in that, in my opinion, and at the same time has connections to some of the Catholic schools, which I believe Teal might have since he came from that environment. Correct me if I'm wrong. If it isn't Teal, it could be other people. And I'm just mentioning names, but take a look at people like Example, Brian Leonard, as an example. Where where is Brian Leonard today? What is he doing? Ray Rice, what is he doing? I I know that in some cases there will be baggage with this. I'm simply looking for other alternatives that will add a degree of excitement. When you mention Ray Rice's name, just as an example, I'm here in Oregon. I was talking to someone recently, and I might have mentioned this you in passing uh, a week or two ago and I mentioned that I went to Rutgers and a 25 something year old said yeah Ray Rice it's been how many years since he's been here I think I think I think it's it's
1: all valid points and I think a staff of highly skilled coaches that also included coaches uh, where they can you know not be in a position you know uh, as a coordinator, um, because that 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 you would assume in the Big Ten takes a lot of experience and knowledge. Not learning on the job uh, would be a great spot to have Teal. Um, I'll take Partridge as the Rutgers, uh, you know, linebacker coach. Uh, it, it's I think it's all a good discussion, and that that would that would definitely help to have those kind of guys. Um, and, and there's there's a ton of guys too. It's not you know Scott Lone is coaching in high school, um, but you started out as saying, don't get me, you know, uh, a Division two coach, a Division three coach. So it 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 also right. goes down the line, right? You can't you can't you can't want to have a a, a top tier coach, and and then also throw in, you know, inexperienced coordinators. Uh, so I don't know, it's a tough it's a tough thing. Um, but the point is, you know, to me, Neiman is gone, and and they need to take the time to start looking for a guy right now, uh, you know, that would be able to come in and, uh, you know, I want to see a guy that, 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 that got some X and O's and can, can teach these guys and, you know, bring something to the table, like bring something that is outside of the realm. And in some of the mistakes that they probably made here is, you know, when when you're bringing a a guy from Ohio State uh, who who's not who's coaching superior athletes, uh, you you may actually um, rely a little bit too much on that athleticism. So uh, it's not an easy call, but uh, certainly I think we could agree that he certainly isn't getting the job done. And uh, you know, what what I'm more interested in is the next level of, of players, right? Um, you know, I hate to say because you don't like to talk about players that are in the program. Um, But there's a few that are on their way out and and they're, you know, uh, whether they're seniors on the defense that you expected to, to, to lead the team and and if they're not getting it done, like let's, let's start, um, you know, let's start to, to play some of the other players, uh, some of the younger players. And I think then that touched on what you talked about earlier with the lack of uh, depth that's in there. So uh, it's certainly, a lot of questions
0: and, and, and not many answers. Well, you know, um, <laughs> this, this this might get a reaction one way or the other, but at least, at least I'm going to mention it. If, if you want a defense, it is kind of intriguing the way that kind of worked out, isn't it? Um, there's You have our former coach who left, who winds up going to Ohio State, and their and their DC comes over to us. All things considered, I think that Shiano was the face of this of this uh, program. And whether or not anyone's reached out to him or not, whether we can afford it or not, it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't necessarily mean that Ash is gone. And maybe what I'm saying is naive, and maybe what I'm saying is just uh, it can't be done. But then again, who says it can't be done? Why not? If you can have co-offensive coordinators or co-defensive coordinators, we've had that, right, Jerry? We have had that. You know that. In the last 10 well, years, well, Flod, we've had
1: – Yeah, Flood was a co-offensive coordinator. I'm sorry? Well, Flood was once a co-offensive coordinator.
0: Right. So what I'm saying is think about that. You know, That would be like saying if you have two quarterbacks who are starting, you have none. Um, we've, seen some, we've seen some teams come in here who have thrown the ball around and then suddenly replaced it with, with somebody else who can run the ball around, and then they replace him again, or they, or they keep the guy in here. Maybe, maybe there's a place for bringing in a head coach, as we did in basketball at one point, right? I think it was with Fred Hill. Fred Hill was brought in ostensibly as an assistant. But he became the coach in waiting, right? Under Waters. That's the way I remember it. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that's the way it went yeah. down. My point is, <laughs> so my point is, maybe yeah. that's exactly what we need to do now. We need to bring that's in true, that right. coach. But, but that
1: was exactly the point almost that I was going to make with cartridge because uh, it, it, that was exactly the scenario. Hill came in here because he was supposed to uh, bring his Lance Thomas. And he was not a coach at at the Big East level, and then you pushed away a coach who probably was actually a pretty good coach when it comes to coaching the X and the O's uh, for a quote unquote recruiter who then couldn't bring in who he was supposed to, and then couldn't coach against the big boys. So it's 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 a it's a funny discussion. It's a funny discussion. It's a delicate. um,
0: (laughs) It's a delicate. It's a delicate balance. But I think here's the problem. Here's the problem. the problem. The problem is, to a certain degree, there's a number of people who will agree with you. Let's move on. Let's talk about the positives and, and whatever. The thing is, why is it that we're still talking about this stuff? It's because it's the most germane thing we can talk about. We can't really even talk about how we're going to do about Maryland, or whose coach I'm not even sure. What happened to their coach, Durkin? What happened to the investigation? Somehow all of that is forgotten. It's irrelevant. They're three and two. They've got a couple of guys who seem to be able to fly. And they're a 24-point pick over Rutgers. In my opinion, we'll be lucky if we keep it to that.
1: Hey Lance, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me on. All right. Um I tell you I'm looking forward to um getting you on here. Uh you know I mentioned earlier in the uh uh in my show, you know, uh not this one, but another episode that it, it's great that there's uh five, six podcasts out there now, you know. There's uh you know Scarlet Spotlight, uh we had Are You John on earlier. There's um uh are you screwed those guys um adam is great uh yeah, three former wrsu guys uh, uh put together a good show um scarlet nation has a has a podcast as well um so it's good it's good it was all it was all primed for good and good coverage and posit- positivity but um glad to have you on uh on, on the show
2: yeah, yeah i i 100 agree i think you know The more coverage that Rutgers gets, and especially, you know, not necessarily football or basketball, but those uh, Olympic sports, I think the more coverage uh, you can give them and the the more you can get their name out, uh, I think it's definitely a positive. And I think, you know, I've I've listened to all the other podcasts, and I think they're great. Well, you know, you bring up
1: the Olympic sports and... uh, Yeah, yeah, I was listening to your podcast last week. It was a great one with uh, the field hockey coach, um, uh, Meredith uh, Savico, who field hockey, I think, uh, uh, where, where are they ranked right now?
2: I think they're ranked 14th in the nation. I think they were just moved up. They were 15th last week, and I believe in the most recent poll, they moved up one spot to 14th yeah and of course
1: uh right now the women's soccer team is up in first place uh he had a great interview with uh Dan Donegan early in the season uh kind of you know those of you know like us or myself had kids in the soccer in New Jersey it was kind of interesting to hear and uh you know his roots that go back uh you know back to you know playing out in Kearney and some of the uh you know the footprints of New Jersey so uh that was interesting um to hear so definitely uh Uh, For those looking for positivity, make sure to check out your podcast as as you're getting some, some of the, uh, uh, you know, non football and non revenue uh, sports out there representing.
2: Yeah, I I definitely, I try to, you know, mix it around. Um, I had Joe Leterio on the baseball coach. I had uh, the new softball coach, Kristen, uh, Kristen Butler on as well. i definitely tried to uh, spread it around, spread it. Like you said, from not only uh, revenue sports, but also to the non revenue sports and, uh, just to help get those, because, you know, so many of the Olympic sports are so successful, like women's soccer and, like, field hockey, and a lot of times they don't necessarily get their due because they're not football, they're not basketball. Um, I'm just trying to help them, you know, get their recognition because, frankly, they deserve it.
1: Of course, we have, you know, didn't mention wrestling, of course. Uh, You know, one thing I went to uh, Michigan a couple years ago, and, and I was just floored by... Uh, you know, standing in front of uh, you know down the street from their stadium, and you know, forget it—they had the basketball arena. But not only that it was 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 its own field hockey building, uh, its own tennis building, uh, and it was amazing. But also a little bit frightening to realize where you know the, the, the kind of sports juggernaut that the Big Ten really is, and uh, you know the ways that Rutgers goes, but you know, it's good to see that they're competing well in, in these sports, uh, you know, you know but, um, obviously big 10 inclusion, you know, has helped. Um, but you still think there's a lot of room for growth in, in, uh, you know, attracting and keeping home the players in the non football non basketball sports as well.
2: I, I definitely think so. And you bring up Michigan, I'm going to use a couple of examples as well. You know, I, uh, was the sports director at WRSU my senior year. I traveled to, you know, I think at the end of my time at WRSU, I traveled to 11 of the Big Ten schools. So I got to see, you know, basically every campus. And you bring up Michigan. I remember when I went to Ohio State and I saw all the facilities that they had. And I said to my partner who I went with, I said, I get it. I was like, I get why people want to come here. The facilities they have are just you know, state of the art and and they're above really anything I had ever seen. So while the uh, Olympic sports here are are doing well and they're competing, I think when you see the new facilities being built and when Rutgers finally has facilities that can match up with a Michigan and match up with an Ohio state and Wisconsin and so on and so forth, I think that's when they'll really take that next step to where, you know, maybe some of these sports like field hockey, like women's soccer uh, can be in the top 10. Uh, much less know the top 15 on a, you know, year in and year out basis. So
1: obviously uh, I know you still follow the football program, so yeah. it, it's a, uh, it is a football show. So, you know, you, you do follow the football. So I have to get your thoughts on, you know, you know, what do you think, uh, I guess, obviously things are not going as expected and, um, you know, what, what do you expect to see this week in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the morale and maybe getting out on the road might be a good thing for this team. And, uh, you know, uh, if you've been following Maryland, you know, what kind of game do you expect, uh, uh, this Saturday? Well,
2: look, I, you know, it has not been a pretty season. I think that's, you know, going without saying, but, I think maybe, you know, getting out of highpoint, uh, com stadium might be best for, for this team. You know, get away from the negative energy that is right now surrounding Rutgers football uh, in Piscataway and, and go on the road. And, you know, look, Maryland, obviously a team that, that Rutgers beat last year. Um, but in my opinion, a much different team uh, this year than what Rutgers played. Obviously, you know, Maryland last season when Rutgers played them, they went with their they were going with their third string quarterback in Max Bortenschlager. Now they have both of the, their top two quarterbacks in, in Kasem Hill and in Tyrell Prigrom healthy. And the thing about Maryland is they love to run the ball. And, you know, Ty Johnson, I think got a little banged up against Michigan and I don't know if he'll play. And if he does, to what extent he will play uh, for the Terps on Saturday. But the fact is, you know, this team loves to run the ball and Rutgers just can't stop the run. They just can't seem to do it. And, you know, look, Puka Williams junior for Kansas was talented, Uh, The the running back for Buffalo was talented. Um, Even, you know, Corbin and and, and Bush for Illinois are talented. But these aren't guys who should be busting out 300-yard rushing games on Rutgers, and Rutgers just can't seem to stop the run. It's, you know, missed assignments, missed tackles, uh, undisciplined defensive play. And I think that trend is just going to continue with Maryland because Maryland, you know, they have the talent both at the quarterback and at the running back position, even if Ty Johnson isn't playing, to just run all over Rutgers. And unless the Scarlet Knights – show something differently uh this saturday i i don't see them being able to stop what is a very high-powered maryland rushing attack
1: and oh by the way ty johnson's back of uh anthony mcfarlane is averaging nine yards a carry on, on 36 carries so uh it's you know that doesn't bode well
2: uh, for for the scarlet Knights.
1: It, it
2: it certainly doesn't i said you know besides the running backs themselves you know Tyrell Pigrom is a guy who can use his feet at the quarterback position. So could Taysom Hill. Depending on whichever one they go to, um, because I've seen them use both, they both can use their feet. And you look at a a guy like Bush last week for Illinois, you know, he didn't pass, I believe, for over 100 yards, but he had, you know, what, three, four, five, you know, incredibly long runs. I think one was like 73-yarder, a 41-yarder. You know, he was just torching Rutgers defense on the ground with his feet and Pigrome and Hill can both do that exact same thing. So, again, as I said before, unless Rutgers changes something up over this past week, uh, changes up their defensive scheme, or the players just, you know, play better, I, I don't see the trend of Rutgers not stopping to run. I, I I see Maryland, like the past couple opponents for the Scarlet Knights, really just running all over Rutgers.
0: Oh, this is so, Can you hear me?
1: Oh, we hear you.
0: Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hi. Um, just just a question. Given that you've described um, a couple of players from Maryland and Buffalo and Illinois, and, and one of the things they have in common is, I guess they're calling it RPO. I don't know. I'm, I'm not much for all of these acronyms, but it seems like it's the ability to scramble, the ability to run. We've recruited a kid. It's, you know he hasn't, he hasn't signed yet It hasn't been time But Wise is coming in Who appears to be uh, A dual threat quarterback I guess that's what they called it And I'm not trying to create a, a controversy Because their whole game plan It seems like Is trying to get Artur to the point Where he's mature Where he matures And next year we'll be ready To actually put up some big numbers But maybe we're going about this all wrong I'm just wondering if we shouldn't be doing the same thing looking for quarterbacks who are dual threat. Well,
2: I, I definitely see where you're coming from. And you look around college football and, and you know, you look at the big programs, right? Dwayne Haskins, while not a, a runner, more of a pure thrower, he can still use his feet to at least get out of the pocket. Uh, you know, I don't want to compare Rutgers to Alabama, but you look at Tua Togobailoa, you know, he's a guy who can run. Uh, the name of the game kind of in college football now is getting those dual threat quarterbacks. And I think Zamar Wise can be that, you know, one thing to notice, and I, and I think it could kind of affect him ultimately signing with Rutgers, is don't forget, Zamar Wise was a was by Jerry Kill, not necessarily John McNulty. And, and John McNulty went out and picked the quarterback of his choosing and Cole Snyder, uh, the more of the pure pocket passer in the 2019 class. So I don't know if that's going to play any role in whether or not Zamar Wise ultimately ends up signing with the Scarlet Knights, but he was not John McNulty's first choice as a quarterback. It was Cole Snyder. So – if zamar wise ends up signing i think he's a guy that could definitely make an impact um now how early he'll make an impact obviously with quarterbacks especially with art sitkowski in the program now and starting it might be a couple years if art continues to progress for another quarterback to step in but another guy who might be a dual threat guy is someone like Jalen chapman obviously coming in the class with art it's difficult, right. I think, for him from California. Obviously, it's a much longer trip than Zamar Wise, who's just making it, uh, you know, from Barringer and from Newark, New Jersey. But I think, you know, if Jalen Chapman, after this redshirt season, kind of shows something in the offseason in the, in the off going into the 2019 season, if he shows that he has the talent to play in the Big Ten, then, hey, maybe they could kind of work some packages for him and get him involved uh, to kind of throw off the defense next year.
1: I think the one thing that's frustrating on uh, a point with the offense is with the post style offense, you, you, you have to be so perfect in, in some ways. And, um, you know, obviously you're dropping back, your line has to hold. Uh, and when you have a little bit of mobility, you're able to make up for, for mistakes and, and you're able to um, athletically dodge a guy, make a move and, and do that. Um, I'm not one who's necessarily – saying there's one better way than another but i just feel not only do you need a certain type of blocking but then you need receivers who are almost like the pro style type of receivers the, the little quick fast guys are, are not going to cut it because uh, you're running deeper routes and you're running longer routes and i thought in some ways that was an advantage that Rutgers had years ago when they were running a pro style because you can preach to guys like you know harrison and Wright and uh, you know, Coleman and guys that are big guys and say, look, you know, you're going to learn how to run NFL routes. And that's almost an advantage. But since we went away from those type of receivers, it it kind of was difficult to now go right back to pro style and, and starting with the quarterback first when the offensive line and receivers aren't there. Um, it was kind of an interesting switch. And I almost, you know, you kind of look at our name like Anthony Russo now at Temple, uh, you know, whether if. Ash would have kept the pro style from day one. You know where they would be right now. Uh, you know Sakowski so could still be in the fold as as you know sitting and watching behind a third year player. Uh, it's it's just a little bit of this flip flopping that kind of frustrates.
2: Well, I think I that's think kind that, of the issue when you have you know what was it nine offensive coordinators in nine seasons uh, systems change so often that like you said you know Ash started with more of a dual threat kind of system with. Uh, Drew Merringer, obviously, as offense coordinator. And now only two years later, he's back to a pro style with with John McNulty. And I think, you know, you bring up the receivers. And I think you mentioned, you know, everything has to go, you know, almost perfect in a pro style offense for it to work. You know, the blocking has to hold up. The receivers, you know, they have to to run crisp routes. They have to, you know, get separation. And I think that's kind of been the big issue that maybe not as many people have talked about. These receivers, they're just not getting the separation that they should. And you're expecting, you know, a lot of expectations for for Bo Melton this year, Um, a lot of expectations, and and there was a lot of uh, positive talk about uh, guys like Eddie Lewis and and Shemeen Jones. And while we've seen glimpses here and there of them having success, they just haven't been consistent enough in getting that separation. And it makes it difficult for, for Art. And even for that offensive line as well, if no one's open, Art just has to hold on to the ball longer and longer until someone gets open. And at that point, the offensive line blocking breaks down. So, you know, I think one of the big reasons why this offense has struggled, besides, you know, turnovers, uh, lack to really get a game going as well, and, and again, spotty blocking at times, has been the fact that these receivers, just not on a consistent enough basis, they haven't been able to get that separation against Big Ten level defense And it's kind of, you know, held the offensive back and has has held the offense back and has made it difficult to really get a passing game going.
0: I think that you're right, and I want to make a comment, which is don't you think at times we keep asking our coaches, and I don't know that we've seen it, to make adjustments at halftime. Shouldn't we make adjustments throughout the year? If you're trying to run a pro-style offense and you don't have pro-style players, what are you going to do? You're going to continue running a, a program. You're going to run a style of program that you don't have the ability to run. It doesn't make any sense. So wouldn't we better off? Wouldn't we better off assessing who we have and if we can't attract the Kenny Brits or the Underwoods or the Browns or the Coleman's, the Aguidosis, whatever the Coleman's, then use what we've got and run a different style offense until we have it. That was the whole complaint that I, I, that I had as well as I'm sure virtually everybody else on the board, with Drew Memminger. He was running people in space we didn't have the ability to get in space. We didn't have it. We were lost in space.
2: I, I think you bring up a good point, and, you know, it's kind of one of those things when you have a coach in, you know, it's always the coach's, I think, first decision. Do you have your players adapt to you? Do you have the players adapt to what you want to do, or do you adapt to the players? And I think Chris Ash has kind of made the decision – have the players adapt to him not necessarily have the uh him adapt to the players and you know i do believe at times that maybe has set them back you know if you don't have the personnel and you haven't been able like you said to recruit the personnel to fit your scheme then you know maybe try something different or or if you want to keep that traditional pro style throw a couple of wrinkles into it i think we've seen over the past couple weeks john mcnulty try to get a little you know he's thrown in that uh, that trick play he obviously had the the Pacheco pass to Durham Washington a couple weeks ago. Uh, he tried last week against Illinois to have a offensive lineman in, in uh, Jonah Jackson catch the ball off of a pass from Artikowski. So I think he's tried to throw a couple wrinkles into it to keep defenses guessing. But, you know, you're right. If you don't have the personnel to run your style, you've got to change something because, you know, insanity is doing something over and over again and thinking that you're going to get a different result. And, you know, with the personnel Rutgers has, they're just going to do the same things over and over again, and the same result is going to happen. And, you know, like you said, Agreed. they need to try something different or, or, you know, this offense can continue to sputter.
1: You know, the only thing is that, you know, obviously Rutgers is only averaging 16, 17 points a game, so that's not cutting it in college football. But, you know, what's been such a disappointment has been the defense. And in, I, I you know, I was talking about this last week where I, you never feel like there's ever – a, an opportunity that the offense has is obviously you know it's being run by a freshman uh, that you're going to have these drives that are going to stall, uh, and you just never see the defense. They'll come back and and lift you up by putting the other team one two three and out. Uh, it you know it, it's or they score and then immediately it's a it's a touchdown right? Just taking you know it happened against Kansas earlier it happened here and um, you know and and that's schematically much different than offense. I mean, defense is, you, know, you 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 can play various types of defensive schemes, but uh, at the end of the day, linebackers and defensive linemen have to know their, their assignments, know their keys and, and, and play on it. Uh, you know, what's your, what's your thought with the defense and then, and I hate to start to bring this up, but uh, you know, maybe some of the guys that are a little older on their end are just, you know, not getting it done. And, and, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's effort. It's just, you know, you know, guys shouldn't be out of position when they're juniors and seniors. Uh, uh, you, you know, is the depth so poor that they can't start to put in, uh, I want to see young mistakes then, you know, just seniors out of position. Well,
2: you know, I think that's kind of been something that that's really puzzled everyone. You know, this defense w- was good enough last year to where it really won them three games. And especially that, uh, that Purdue game last year, you know, the the offense last year against Purdue only put up 14 points, but the defense was so good that they held Purdue, which was a pretty prolific offense last year to 12, and Rutgers ended up winning the game. So I think that's kind of been, you know, what's really puzzled everyone. Why has this defense not lived up to the expectation that was set for it by, you know, so many people? I think it's come down to now, you know, Chris Ash mentioned it in his press conference for, he, he, he said, you know, it's only four or five plays that are beating this team, but the problem is, it's four or five plays that are beating this team every week. You know, it's one thing if if one game, you know, they 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 mess up on a couple plays and it ends up costing them, but the next week they go out and then they fix it. But every week, it's four or five plays for the for this team that end up costing them the game and end up costing the defense. And you know that needs to change. You need to ultimately end up making. Uh, adjustments either to your personnel, either to your defensive scheme, either to your defensive play calling in order to, you know, stop those four or five plays from happening. And my biggest thing is it seems like the defense, more than the offense really, but the defense, it takes them a while to really get ready to play. You know, it seems like, and this dates back all the way to year one, I think for Chris Ash too, the defense it takes them a while to get into the game, you know, you look back at year one, they played New Mexico, and I think the other team they played was Howard. And in both those games, I think New Mexico they were down twenty one, nothing early, and I think Howard, they were down fourteen, nothing early. And then last year, they played Indiana and they lose forty one to nothing, and Indiana, I think in the fir- in the first quarter was up at least two scores. So it seems like this defense just isn't ready to play early enough in the game and they get themselves into a pretty big hole. And by the time they are ready to play, that hole is so deep that this team just can't dig itself out.
1: So, you know, earlier in the show, um, Mo brought up, um, uh, you know, KJ Gray. And, um, you know, the guys that were involved in the the credit card scandal, uh, you know, I think for public relations reasons, Rutgers, you know, tried to make sure, you know, or make it seem like, you know, there really wasn't going to be an issue. And they had to do that for positivity for early in the year. But, you know, looking back in terms of, you know, uh, playing time and depth, uh, you know, how many of those guys besides Gray, uh, you know, would have seen the field, uh, you know, now, you know, I know, you know, Malik Dixon was, was up there pushing in the in two, the, in the two um, you know, uh, Christian uh, Onyek, he was another one in the defensive line. Uh, is that starting to now play into it, this, this, the lack of depth on defense?
2: I think so. And, you know, I don't think it's, it's the only reason. I think there's more to it. But, look, you mentioned Malik Dixon. I think he was a guy that probably would have seen a lot of playing time this year. Um, obviously the two main ones involved, uh, the first couple names that were put out, you know, KJ Gray, you mentioned, he obviously most likely would have started this season and Damon Hayes probably would have backed him up at safety. And then the other one was Brendan DeVera. And he was really moving up that linebacker depth chart into the two deep. And he was looking like someone that could really make an impact this year. I think you're also looking at a guy, maybe like Najee Jones, who could have, uh, you know, who could have, uh, made an impact, uh, CJ Onyechi, you mentioned him, <clears throat> excuse me, you mentioned him as well. But I think those main guys in K.J. Gray, Brendan DeVera, um, and Malik Dixon, those three guys were guys who I, I believe Chris Ash expected big things out of this year and expected them to really make an impact. And the fact that, you know, K.J. Gray and Brendan DeVera are no longer with the program and Malik Dixon's fate is still yet to be determined, I think that really, you know, hampered the defense. And right now they just don't have the competition to push each other in practice. And, you know, they don't have the depth. And, you know, whether it's a factor of the defense getting tired, I mean, we've seen at times uncharacteristic, really, of a Rutgers team under Chris Ash. We've seen at times it looks like there's been a lack of effort from some of these players. I think that plays a part. But, you know, that definitely hurt the program. This was supposed to be at the beginning of the season um, or before the season, excuse me. This was supposed to be, you know, obviously a year where they progressed to potentially six wins. And to start the off season off mm-hmm. with, with such a big scandal, I think, really hurt the program and kind of diminished some of the positive vibes that were kind of coming its way uh, during the off season before the scandal happened.
1: Definitely, without a doubt. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's something, you know, I, I don't think a lot has been talked about, but it, I, I kind of, you know, thought about it again, you know, the other day when, you know, and again, I don't know the name names, but, you know, there, there's certain guys that I think, you know, that are seniors that, you know, you, you know uh, he probably would have been guys that you would want to start to spell in and spell with, with some of the younger players. Uh, and, and, you know, these, these are guys um, that, you know, you would have, uh, in like, as you mentioned, Dixon and uh, uh, some of the other ones that are younger. So uh, it definitely hurts. It definitely hurts. So there's lots of questions and not many
0: answers, unfortunately, but, you um, you know,
1: appreciate that.
0: I I have a question for you. What about our strategy moving forward? If we're if we're stalled, so to speak, in terms of getting the recruits that we need to play pro style offense, defense, whatever the heck you want to call it, then what about looking at JUCOs and making things a little bit simpler and or grad transfers? Understood they're one and done, grad transfers, but on the other hand, occasionally we do get some, not only Rutgers, occasionally there are, there are grad transfers who wind up standing out, and maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need a couple of key positions, and we need to determine whether it's wide receiver, quarterback, linebacker, defensive tackles, which we've had a, a hard time really recruiting, and we should just target those individuals and go after them. We're not getting them at the, at the high school level, Then let's go after them at JUCO, and let's go after them as a grad transfer.
2: Uh, I agree, and you know, I think I think there's been a lot in terms of in
0: terms of junior college players. I think one
2: of the um, potential, I guess, blocks for why Rutgers hasn't gotten them so often is because of um, a lot of times they won't qualify academically for Rutgers. Um, but also, I know Chris Ash uh, likes to get in guys you know, when they're young and likes to really progress guys through the program. But, but I agree with you. I think, you know, junior college with the way the program is now needing to build up depth. I think junior college and grad transfers might be the way to go, especially for next season. You know, next season, if this season finishes like a lot of us expected to finish with, you know, one and 11, maybe two and 10 next season, Chris Ash is going to, going to need to win and he's going to need to win right away. And in order to win right away, you don't have the luxury of, getting your younger players developed. You need players in the program who are playing meaningful roles that have experienced college football at at any level, really, be it the JUCO level, be it the, you know, uh, another Power Five level, uh, a a non-Power Five conference. You need players who can give you an impact right away, who know what to expect from Big Ten football. So I I agree with you. I think JUCO route is the way to go. I think Chris Ash has realized that. I've seen, you know, I follow recruiting. I can't remember any names for you, but I've seen Rutgers uh, offer more junior college players over the past couple of weeks, and I think Sastash really has uh, in his entire tenure here. So I think he's starting to realize that hey, junior college might be might need to be route that he has to go. But but I agree with you. I think you need to get in guys. You need to get guys into this program, especially for next season, that can make an impact right away. But not that need a you know a redshirt year. Not that need you know six, seven, eight games to adjust. You need guys who can from the first game of the season play right away, play meaningful impact football for you. And, and I think, you know, the easiest the easiest route to get those guys um, are the junior college and of course the grad transfer route.
0: If you look at if you look at the things that we've discussed so far, one of the things that's frustrating, I don't know about you, but for me is that we look at each one of these areas, they're like systems. So you have recruiting is an area that needs to be fine tuned. And the defense needs to be fine tuned. And the offense needs to be maybe fine tuned and or some kind of an adjustment made. And I'm wondering if overall we just wind up getting people who are so conservative that they just aren't willing to make those kinds of moves.
2: Yeah, I, I think that I think that's a that's a good point. You know, maybe the Rutgers have just gotten coaches that are very steadfast in their ways that, you know, it's kind of their way or the highway. And look, I mentioned yeah. it before, you know, coaches have to make a decision, you know, when they're, when they're hired with the personnel that they have and the personnel that they bring in, are they going to fit their scheme to, to play to the personnel that they have, or are they going to make their personnel play to them? And I think Rutgers and Chris Ash has, has had the personnel that he has play to the, play to what he wants to do, as opposed to adjusting his, scheme a little bit to what uh, the person to, you know, to fit the personnel. So I think that maybe has been something that has kind of hampered Rutgers specifically offensively over the first three years under Chris Ash. Um, but it's interesting to see as the season progresses, you know, maybe John McMillan, we've seen in the past couple of weeks, he uh, get a little bit more creative with his play calling, maybe defensively we're going to sh- see a shift in personnel over these next couple of weeks, who knows, but you know, this season right now, Over these last six games, I think Rutgers has to focus on getting their younger players developed. They have to focus on, you know, finding, like you said, a scheme that fits the personnel that they have. And they got to focus on, you know, just improving. One every play at a time, just play disciplined football and let the chips fall where they may. But they just got to focus on improving and looking forward to 2019.
1: So hopefully that's the recipe and and kind of answered the question of, you know, what there is to expect for the rest of the season. So uh, we'll look out for that. So Lance, I appreciate you coming on. Before you go, do you want to drop a uh, prediction on on this weekend's game? If you dare?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, you know, I wish my prediction was a little uh, more positive for the Scarlet Knights than it is. You know, this Maryland team is a good team. I think they really rallied around, uh, what happened in the offseason, Obviously, what tragically happened to uh, their offensive lineman Jordan McNair. Um, I'm going to say Maryland wins 35 to 17. I think again, Rutgers just—they're not going to be able to stop the the Maryland run, and I think uh, the Terps are, are going to do enough offensively and, and stop Rutgers defensively. I think you know, hopefully Sikowski keeps to uh, keeps improving, but my my prediction is 35 17, and the Terps are going to win. But I do think Rutgers covers.
1: All right, well, Lance, thanks for um, coming on the show and I appreciate this and hope to to do it again in the future.
2: Yep, thank you guys uh, so much for having me. Later. All right. Uh,
1: Remember, uh, you know, Lance, of course, is uh, with On the Banks. Uh, That's the uh, SB Nation, uh, the Rutgers SB Nation um, site. So check him out. His podcast is really good. And as we mentioned earlier in uh, the show, uh plenty of interviews with the uh olympic sport coaches um beat writers etc so uh check him out uh so we mo uh, wrap up another uh action packed hour show and uh hopefully we have some uh some 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 positives to talk about next week and uh uh he, you know as this been a long six what is it six weeks already uh, long halfway point of the season so far
0: Um, no comment. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mar- and everybody else. Good. Thanks for
1: uh, for coming on. Uh, make sure to uh, pull it down on iTunes so you have us uh, automatic. Uh, for RU, and Jerry and our big show. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.